0: I really I really enjoy doing this. I enjoy being here at work. I enjoy feeling like I am I'm helping people through this coronavirus. People are hungry, people have to be fed. It's it's a necessity.
1: This is the Frontline Dispatch. I'm Rainey Aronson, Executive Producer of Frontline. Covering coronavirus is a special series of conversations with our journalists in the field. They're reporting on this pandemic and how it's affecting lives across the world, moment to moment.
2: There's so many people that are now falling into this world who, for the first time, will it be experiencing this food insecurity as they've lost their jobs and as cities shut down.
1: That's reporter and filmmaker Jezza Newman, He had been working on a documentary for us about the lives of poor children in battleground states leading up to the presidential election. But when the coronavirus hit, the story took a dramatic turn.
0: The Frontline Dispatch is made possible by the Abrams Foundation, committed to excellence in journalism, and by the WGBH Catalyst
2: Fund.
1: Jezza, hey, tell me where you are right
2: now. Hi, Rainey. Um, I'm in Athens, Ohio at the moment.
1: So Athens County, I know it's quite rural. Help us see, what does it look like there?
2: It's beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. You know, it's that strange sort of juxtaposition of the beauty of the area set against the the potential devastation, but also the issues that people are already facing. This is a really poor area. I've, I've never witnessed an area with these sorts of levels of poverty. And you see it visually in terms of The houses and living spaces, you know, they're all needing a bit of tender loving care. So the scenery is very beautiful, but still you'll see rundown trailers, shacks with paint peeling off them. They need that lick of paint, but you know, people can't afford it.
1: So I know you called us a number of weeks ago, and I know it was a a really big point that you were filming um, can you tell us a little bit about that phone call to us and what you told us?
2: Yeah, sure. it was the, it was on a Thursday and I was in the shelter in Cincinnati. It was at the time that we were still sort of trying to gain access to various different locations and characters. Um, and I basically sat at the desk um, with Denise, who ran the shelter. And I witnessed as she saw the schools closing. The Ohio Department of Health, along with Governor Mike DeWine and his team, are taking more steps to slow down the coronavirus. Public and private schools will close come Monday afternoon.
1: We frankly have no idea at this point whether that will extend beyond that, but people can count
2: on the next three weeks uh, that uh, kids will will not be in school.
1: Talk to me a little bit about with the schools being closed, what's happening.
2: Since the schools closed, um, I think that that really sort of hit home with many people, and that's when you really started to see huge levels of altruism. I think most people sort of, when they knew the kids were gonna suffer, that really kicked people into action. So these amazing teachers and and staff at the schools have have all now um, started uh, supporting a a network of food delivery to the kids. So I rode on on a bus with the Nelsonville and York um, School district and, and, and followed them as as the teachers you know delivered these packs of food. And it only gets one on that
0: yellow house up front, right? No, so the yellow house gets wow. two, and I
2: put one
0: on the right and one on the front. Uh, yellow on left or right? Yeah.
2: Left gets two. I mean, some of these kids uh, live incredibly rurally as well, and next week we're heading out with the Hocking School District and. You know, teachers have to run up pathways and run back and get these deliveries done. Um,
1: the teachers themselves are
2: delivering the food
1: to their students.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You you arrive at the school in the morning. You know, arrive at eight o'clock and you'll see the school hall filled with teachers, janitors, school cooks um, filling bags with food, um, and then at about eight thirty, this whole ream of school buses start lining up and the teachers then fill the school buses and then two or three teachers will head out on that school bus um, and drive from house to house to house delivering this food. And that's happening across the whole area.
1: How how did they come up with the idea of teachers themselves delivering it? Was the teachers coming forward to say they want to do something helpful for the community or how, how did that come about?
2: Yes, absolutely. It was the teachers and the schools and the, and, the, and the superintendents who basically kind of all get together on a, on a, on a group chat and say, what can we do? And, and so they talk to the food bank and the food bank's able to supply the food. So there's this real community spirit. I mean, I've witnessed teachers just going out in vans with Tri-County's food delivery um, and standing in parking lots near the library where they know that kids will come um, and deliver out food. Um, Obviously, as things get tighter, they're having to go from maybe every day down to delivering enough food on a Monday to last the week. The school bus drivers are out there driving the buses. Everybody just wants these kids to be fed.
1: You've been following a family who's been dealing with some of this food insecurity, and the mom, Crystal, actually, she herself is working at the food pantry that's decided to stay open during this pandemic. How are they doing with all this?
2: So, so Crystal is a a single mom. I live
0: here in the Plains, Ohio. Um, I have two children who reside with me, Sean and Dior. I basically grew up in Athens, Ohio,
2: and, uh, this has always been home. She is on benefits and receives assistance for her rent. But in order to receive her benefits, she has to do 30 hours work. Um, She chose to work at the Salvation Army because she's someone that wants to give back. She had formerly worked, but she had a kidney disease, which meant that she couldn't work any longer. And then as this crisis has grown, the Salvation Army gradually lost its volunteers. And so one by one, they fell away. Um, And then some of the volunteers who were elderly were directed, you know, that they shouldn't be there because it's unsafe. So it came to the point that there there were only um, Justin and Darcy, who are the two employees of the Salvation Army, and Crystal left, keeping it open.
0: Thank you for having all these boxes ready, Darcy. Okay, we got one can of pork, one can of vegetable soup, elbow macaroni, black beans, peanut butter.
2: And in fact, they were told that they did not need to be there any longer. Um, they were allowed to stay at home, but...
0: Diced tomatoes.
2: There was no way they were going to allow that to happen. And Crystal said, look, if we go home, if I, if I don't do this job...
0: A can of mixed veggies.
2: You know, h- hundreds of kids will not get fed, and people rely on this on this food bank. Make sure it's
0: dated. That's front and face. All right, we're going to wheel this out.
2: Um, and so she's determined to, to stay out there.
0: It's kind of, this is like a a second home. It's like a home away from home, honestly. Um, I really, I really enjoy doing this. Although I do miss my kids. They're pretty well, especially Dior is dependent on me, but, um, she's in safe hands with grandma. So I'm really comfortable with that, but I, um, I enjoy being here at work, I enjoy feeling like I am helping. I'm helping people through this coronavirus. People are hungry, people have to be fed. It's, it's a necessity.
2: Obviously, that then comes with huge anxiety for Sean. Um, Sean's a really sensitive kid, Rainey, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can see the sort of anxiety levels in him. He's already been through quite a lot in his life. And, um, so seeing his mum out there, it, it does worry him, particularly because him and his mum are very close and they do talk, so he's also aware of her anxiety about what she's doing. So I think for Sean, it's a tricky space. He's navigating.
1: Because of the virus, we have to be more conservative on the food, um, not be as picky, because I'm usually really picky. I have to like eat whatever I get. I usually eat like, a lot of cereal during the day. I now have to like only eat it for breakfast because we have to save up on it.
2: He does talk about you know his concerns for his mother. What do you worry the most about?
1: Um, about family getting sick or potentially getting it because my mom, when she works, she has um, she goes up to buy people's cars and puts food boxes in the trunk, and there still could be like any type of virus that she can catch.
2: They are taking extra precautions, and they are wearing gloves and masks, and it is a curbside pickup, but still you know sometimes someone will still get out of their car and get within six feet of crystals, so she can't control that and I think for Sean he's aware of that um so it does play on his mind um one thing also is obviously the news is playing out at home um and mums are reading things on the internet and and so I think also with the kids they're you know they're feeding off of that you know they're hearing that and they're hearing about the numbers of deaths etc so I think also that um, can play on their minds as well.
1: Jezza, you have been a person who has told so many stories through the lens of how children are feeling and experiencing poverty, but, you know, other other issues as well. What makes the situation unique? I mean, what are you seeing that feels unique to you through the lens of the children?
2: I think the, the kids are starting to see their vulnerability in a way. I mean, it's not something I've really witnessed. Is where you know, quite often you talk to kids in poverty, and they don't see themselves necessarily in poverty um, because it's the life they're used to. So now, what I'm seeing is you know, higher levels of anxiety, a higher sort of knowledge in the terms of why they're at risk. You know, the, the reliance of their parents on food and, and how they'll get that food. So I think that's something I'm learning from these kids, is I think their awareness much more of of their situation.
1: You spent a lot of time in the Southeast Food Bank of Ohio, which I know is a distribution center supplying food um, to a lot of the pantries in that area. How have they adapted their operation?
2: Yeah, so the Southeast Food Bank is actually the sort of warehousing of the food. They're the ones that get the, the federal funding and then bring all the food in, and then they distribute to food pantries. But this whole network of of food bank and food pantries is run on volunteers pretty much. Um, And most of those volunteers are in the high-risk category because they're elderly or retired. So what you've seen is a vast tract of volunteers no longer volunteering since social distancing came into place and stay-at-home orders. Compounded to that is another section of volunteers who are also students, but none of them are back here in Athens any longer. So with this loss of volunteers, They had to fill this hole somehow, otherwise they're incredibly worried that the whole food distribution system would implode. And so the governor of Aho called up the National Guard and also the Ohio Army Reserve. And they are now helping the food bank and food pantries. So we watched these um, National Guard guys packing boxes and then we're also going to follow them as they help out with food distributions as well.
1: I'm wondering if you can talk about what happens as volunteers keep dropping off.
2: So as volunteers keep dropping off, food pantries are struggling to stay open. You know, we've heard of of food pantries that that are at risk of closing, and we actually witnessed one food pantry that had to close its doors. So that's where everyone's stepping in to try and do curbside deliveries instead. But that's the problem with the loss of volunteers, is is that that there's a high risk that more and more pantries will have to close. And this is really, really significant because if food banks and food pantries were no longer distributing food, that would put a massive pressure on supermarkets and they are already creaking. And so that's when you could end up with some sort of chaos because you'd have all these people reliant on food pantries and banks who would now no longer be getting food from that source.
1: Your work over the years has shown us how fragile the food system is in America. I mean, you've really, you've really taken us inside people's homes and into this story in a way, um, with multiple families experiencing, you know, both homelessness, but also, um, food insecurity. Is there anything on the ground right now that's surprising you?
2: What's really surprising me, I think, is, is is actually visually seeing this. I think, you know, when you look at the footage that we filmed um, and the pictures we took of of the uh, food delivery at the um, fairgrounds, you know, you, you kind of take a look at the photo and you see there's some cars and then suddenly you realise these cars are looping right round. And we witnessed car after car after car for hour after hour coming to collect food. and. For the first time, I think I really saw, visually, the scale of what this means because normally you're in a food pantry, sure, and you might see one or two people come in at a time, or you may be in a pantry that's only open once a week, so yeah, you'll see a bit of a rush, and that might be ten people at a time. Um, This is where, for the first time, I was seeing hundreds of people coming to collect food. Mm. Um, That was not something I'd ever seen before. What, What I saw at the fairgrounds is definitely not something I'd ever seen before. I think for me, though, going forward, it's kind of like, how is this going to play out? Question for me is, will it last? What happens when the virus is over? Because when the virus is over, these families we are following today will still be in this situation. They won't be getting jobs that are coming back. And for many of them, the situation will have been compounded by the fact that what little work they did have, they haven't had. So that's that's the worry. And and will the altruism stay? You know, will we care now about poor people because many more have witnessed what it's like to be poor or will it all go back to normal?
1: Thank you, Jezza, so much for taking the time and talking with us about this.
2: Oh, no worries at all, Rainey. Thank you very much for talking to me today.
1: We'll continue hearing from frontline correspondents in the field as they document the impacts of the pandemic, including reports from New York City, Flint, Michigan, and an account of battling the virus from a staff member who contracted COVID-19. You can find more of our reporting on the coronavirus and its impact online at frontline.org. This podcast was produced by Max Green and James Edwards. Our production assistant is Lucy Sullivan. Catherine Gwivert is our editorial coordinating producer. Pam Johnson is Frontline's senior director of strategy and audience. Lauren Azell is senior story editor. Sarah Childress is our senior editor. Frank Kuhn is our senior producer and Andrew Metz is Frontline's managing editor. I'm Rainey Aronson, executive producer of Frontline. Music in this episode is. From Stellwagen Symphonet. The Frontline Dispatch is produced at WGBH and powered by PRX.